Fantastic. Well, this morning we're going we're gonna to wrap up our series called Red Letter Revival that we've been working through the last few weeks. And we're looking specifically at some of the things that Jesus said. And for those of you who uh, have a Bible, like an actual real paper Bible, which is almost certainly the minority of us now, uh, you can get red letter versions which have all those things that Jesus specifically spoke in red. And so today we're going to look at a passage which contains some of the specific things that Jesus said. And I want to share with you this morning a message, and I want to do a shout out to Pastor Mike DeVita, uh, who shared uh, this with me, and just uh, really spoke to my heart, and I want to share some of those things uh, today. But we believe that God wants us to live in this natural world, but to live by supernatural resources. Now that's really important. Because the problem is, see, we, we come to church or we come to our challenges, we come to our marriages, we come to life. But the problem is it's so easy for us, if we're in a worldly mindset, to come at those with a worldly resourcefulness. And so we come at it with, with what our best ideas are. We come at it with what we think the best solutions are. But that's the power of living in Christ. That's the power of living in God because when we get ourselves out of a worldly state into a faith state, a state where we believe that anything is possible, that God is big and that He loves us and is for us, and that actually He delights to show Himself strong through us, then what happens is we move into a different place, a place called faith, and that is a state we're in that accesses a different level of resourcefulness. So we come to church and we come into worship and we're consumed with challenges or problems, issues that are going on at work, difficulties we have with our employer or our employees, challenges in our marriage or with our children. We come into those things and we're trying to find answers, but we, we can't. We're restricted to what we can come up with ourselves. And then we come and we begin to worship God. And we lift up the greatness of God. We remember the one who parted the seas. We, we remember the one who called Peter to come out and walk on water, and he did. And, and we, that's who we remember. That's who we sing about. And as we declare those things, we're reminded, we're not in this alone. We're not in this alone. This is not just about me. I don't have to be the one to find the answers. No, no, God is in this with me. There's a level of resourcefulness that I can tap into because God is with me. And all of a sudden, in that place, as we come and worship and lift Him up and we move back into a place of faith, we start to think different thoughts. The Holy Spirit begins to manifest Himself in us, and all of a sudden, things come to us that don't come to us when we're not in a state of faith. Does that make sense? That's why worship's so important. It literally changes our resourcefulness. It gets us to a place where God begins to speak and God brings answers. And it's not just about bringing natural answers. Sometimes there are supernatural things that God wants to bring out from us. And you've had that, those moments. I've had those moments when you get that nudge and you just go up and you need to speak to someone and you do. There was a, um, this is not that long ago. I was uh, actually in our cafe and, and I know the people aren't here this morning so I can share this uh, freely. But uh, I was walking through the cafe and I saw uh, a person and I just, something just inside me just went, no, need to talk to that person now. And I went to walk past them, and it was like, no, no, you need to talk to them now. So I just went over and I said, hey, how you doing? And this person went, good. I went, no, no, seriously. How you doing? Tears, all starts to fall apart. Real challenge in an area of their life. We were able to intervene, bring God's perspective, help sort out some issues, lead them through forgiveness. Dissolved. Just all sorted and dealt with why the supernatural manifestation of God in us and through us to bring a level of resourcefulness that literally changes things. 
And, and that's the miraculous. The miraculous is not just a thing. It's not just being healed from cancer. That's a miracle. No, the miraculous occurs on a spectrum from what we consider to be great miracles to what Jesus considers to be great miracles. What's the greatest miracle that Jesus thinks? He thinks the greatest miracle is when a soul gets saved. When somebody turns from a lost life and comes and puts their faith in Christ. There is no greater miracle. Nothing comes close to that. It's funny how we rate miracles, don't we? If we're honest, oh, that's a good one. That's not so good. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's not, I'm not even sure if that's a miracle. Whether it's a miracle of healed cancer or the miracle of a divine appointment, it's the manifestation of the supernatural through us that God wants to bring. Whether it's the miracle of angelic intervention with regards to how my grandfather got saved, and some of you have heard that story, or whether it's the miracle of a word of encouragement at just the right moment that just provides what somebody needs to hear to move into a different place. Whether it's the miracle of a life saved in a car accident or whether it's the miracle of a soul saved in a Sunday service, God desires to draw the supernatural out of us and to bring change in our world. And he wants to do it through you. He doesn't want to do it through me. Well, he does. But he wants to do it through you. That's the whole plan of this thing. That's how the church works. It's not meant to be the church that's all about the the blokes on stage or the girls on stage going, yeah, do this or do that. No, that's not church. Church is all about the priesthood of all believers. It's about the ministry you have, the ministry you carry, not in here, but out there in your offices and workshops and schools and homes. That's where the church is at its best. That's actually the front lines of what the kingdom, what God is doing through his kingdom. That's the front lines. Where you are is the front lines. God wants to release the supernatural through you. Absolutely, he does. And so this morning, we're going to unpack some of this as we look at Jesus' first recorded miracle. Love this. John chapter 2. You've got it in your notes. Read through with me. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother ignored Jesus and said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each one holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Maybe you're familiar with the big 44-gallon drums that maybe dad used to burn the rubbish in the back section when you were kids. We're talking a lot of wine, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said, fill the jars with water, and so they filled them to the brim. And then he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you, you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did, he thinks, Lizzie. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Ordinary jars filled with everyday water and yet God did something supernatural with what came out of that. Let's just pray. Mighty God, I pray today, Lord, that you will give each of us, Lord, an understanding of what you want to do with us, with me, God, reveal to, reveal to me, God, what you want to do with me in regards to the supernatural and all the different places you have me in this world. God, I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, I love what God is doing here every week in Elam. The lives that are changed, the things that God is doing. We had a woman in one of our programs a couple of months back uh, listening to another woman share her story, her experience of Jesus. And this woman found herself just weeping and weeping. And she said these words, I want what you have. And uh, she was led to Christ. And, and now she's living a completely different life. We see that. We see people give their lives to Jesus. We see people get right with God. We see people find freedom and then discover purpose and then find a life where they can make a difference. Why does this happen? It happens because God does supernatural things with ordinary people like you and me who are filled with Him. I love this. See, this is the great thing. This woman came to Christ because of another woman who was so full of what Jesus had done for her that she couldn't help but overflow. She couldn't help but just, can I tell you what Jesus has done with me? There was this overflow from someone that was brimming over with the fullness of God that just, and she wasn't preaching, she was just telling a story. She was just telling her story, but it so touched this other woman. Something happened between what came out and then what was received that changed her life. What if in this first miracle, Jesus is setting a precedent for how the Christian life is meant to look? You see, in the scriptures, first things are significant. So why did Jesus choose this as his first miracle? I mean, seriously, water into wine? I can imagine maybe going to a party and going, this is wrong, I'm going to turn all the wine into water so you don't get drunk. I mean, that, that, that kind of, you know, there's a, there's a religious part of me that kind of makes more sense. But uh, water into water into in a wine, like he could have healed someone, he could have raised someone from the dead, he could have done a whole bunch of stuff, but he changed water into wine. And as far as we know, he never did that again. Why? What is going on in this situation? So we have to ask then, well, is there anywhere else in Scripture where we see water being changed into something else? And of course, the answer is yes. In the Old Testament, when God sent Moses to the, to the nation of Israel that were under Pharaoh and under the power of Egypt, and he, and he brought them out with a mighty hand. When God came to his people in trouble, the very first public sign that he did to speak to Egypt and to show what he was doing with his people was he turned the water in the Nile into blood. God's word was about judgment and death. Now Jesus comes, God comes to a wedding celebration that was in trouble, and he doesn't turn water into blood, but he turns water into wine. In Psalms and Ecclesiastes, wine is symbolic of rejoicing. It's symbolic of partying, of, of the joy of the Lord, of gratitude. It's symbolic of the blessing of God on people. Instead of judgment, Jesus turns water into wine, speaking of abundance and celebration and blessing. Jesus is doing something different. The very start of his ministry, the very start of his ministry, the first thing that he did was make a statement, and every Jew would have seen it. Every Jew would have known it. Moses came and turned the Nile into blood. The Messiah comes and turns water into wine. This is a new thing. And nobody paid for it. No one was like, okay, we've got all this wine now. We're gonna, we'll send you an invoice. I mean, it was, it was free. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. His gift to a hurting world. Let me ask you this morning, what do you think Jesus has come into your life to bring? Because some of us, 
oh, some of us still believe that when God comes, it's because He's going to bring judgment into our lives. And so we live in this fear of what's going to happen if we don't toe the line and get everything right. And instead, Jesus comes to your party when you ran out of wine because you were too tight to pay for it or you had such poor planning that you couldn't work it through and somehow he takes what you do have and he turns it into what you need. This is interesting. As well as revealing God's grace, Jesus' action was also prophetic about the kingdom that he was coming to set up and about heaven. Pastor Mike DeVetta mentioned this. He pointed out that Jesus' first act points to his last act in Revelation, where finally after humanity has fallen and then been rescued by Jesus, Jesus then gets his hero's reward. He gets his bride. The first wedding (laughs) points to the final wedding. Revelation 19 verse 9, the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. What Jesus did at this wedding was a supernatural miracle. It was a sign. And signposts point towards things. You won't find a sign pointing to Auckland in Auckland. You'll find a sign pointing to Auckland in Hamilton because it's pointing somewhere. And every time we see a sign from God, it's pointing towards something. And this sign pointed to who He was pointed to this new thing that he was bringing. It was pointing to what he wants to do in and through our lives. And it was pointing to what is ahead. And so this morning I want to bring your focus, good people, to, to three things, three steps that occurred at this wedding that I believe are a pattern for how God wants to bring the supernatural out of you. To bring the grace and the joy of Jesus to others your life and in your friendships and in your marriage and in your family and in your business and your workplace and in your school, wherever it is that you are. So let's dig into that this morning. On the third day, the scripture says, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus was at this wedding party. Why was he there? Because he was invited. Because he was invited. It always starts here. The first thought this morning is, you've got to invite Jesus in. You've got to invite him into your home. You've got to invite him into your social circle. You've got to invite him into what you do every week at work. You've got to invite him into your school. Just Was it last week or the week before? We shared the, I shared the story of a, a couple in this church, a business couple, run a fabulous restaurant and they, they bought a restaurant that was struggling and failing. And the first thing they did was to say, Jesus, you are the boss of this restaurant. We're inviting you into how we do this. And they've got this incredibly profitable, thriving, wonderful restaurant business that not only produces great food, but it's an environment where staff come in and are mentored and trained and raised up and released. They are just doing a beautiful thing. Why? Because they invited Jesus into what they were doing. You don't want to be one of those Christians who invited Jesus into their heart, but then never invited him into their life. To a gathering of Christians in a church, we read in Revelations 3.20, Jesus says this, and remember, he's talking to Christians like you and me. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door. I will come in and eat with them and they with me. We so often use that as someone who is not a Christian and that God is standing at the door of a non-Christian's heart saying, let me in. But the scripture in context is talking about a bunch of people like you and me. A bunch of Christians who love Jesus, but for some reason we've shut him out of certain areas of our life. And he wants in because only on the inside can he bring the change that you want to see him do. Is there anywhere in your world this morning where Jesus has not been given the invitation? Just ask him. Do you have any no access places for Jesus in your heart and mind? Because I'll tell you one thing, Jesus can't do the miracle until you invite him. And if we don't give him that permission, he won't move in. He will wait. In fact, let's just take a moment right now. Would you do me a favor? Let's just close our eyes just for a moment. We'll close our eyes. If you're sitting there and something's going on in you and you're actually aware that maybe you've invited Jesus into your heart, but you've never invited him into your world, into your life, into your day-to-day. Would you take a moment right now and invite him in? Just we are. Just, oh God, I'm so sorry. God, would you, would you come into this part of my world? God, would you come into my marriage? Would you lead our marriage, Lord? God, would you come into my business? Would you be the CEO of my business, God? God, would you come into my study? God, would you be my tutor? God, would you come into my relationship with my children? Would you be our coach? Whatever it is. Okay. Okay, hopefully some of you have done that. Let's open our eyes this morning. What happens next? Jesus' mother Mary hears of a problem. A host who particularly in that culture is going to be terribly embarrassed and ashamed because they can no longer show the hospitality that is required of them. They're out of wine. And and so Jesus' mother raises this with Jesus, and this is Jesus' reply. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Can you imagine if you tried that with your mum? Michael, clean up your room, it's a mess. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour to tidy my room has not yet come. Like that's going to happen. And it's intriguing because Jesus hadn't performed any miracles at this stage. So who knows exactly what Mary expected him to do. But she knew one thing. That if anything was going to change, it would only change by doing exactly what Jesus said. (laughs) Verse 5, his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. You know what? These words from Mary could very possibly be the clearest and most powerful discipleship instruction you will ever have. Do whatever he tells you. It kind of wraps up discipleship, really. You're welcome. So our second thought this morning is simply this. And and here's the thing. You've already worked out that I'm not going to share anything with you that's particularly rocket science this morning. But I tell you what, if you don't do that, nothing will change. And if you do do it, everything will change. Our second thought is this, do what Jesus says. If he says, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom. If he says, forgive your brother or your sister, forgive your brother or your sister. If he says, show kindness to an enemy, 
show kindness to an enemy. If he says, do not worry, then you should stop worrying. How do I deal with the struggle I'm having at work with this employee or my employer? Why don't you try doing whatever Jesus tells you to do? What about the struggles in my relationship with my wife or my husband or my kids? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Look, you guys all know that we've got a whole bunch of teenagers in our house, four of them. Honestly, I think our whole approach with sex education is completely wrong. We need to stop frightening people with STDs. Just frighten people with the thought of teenagers in your house. That'll stop all that naughtiness. So, so you know what? Having teenagers is an absolute joy, an absolute joy. But it is, it is also the most... How do I say this? <laughs> it is the most challenging season of our lives, bar none. And you know what? Many, many times I have gone to bed absolutely inside myself distraught at what's going on and how I'm doing this as a dad. I mean, I've got the best kids in the world. And there are still times when I, I go to bed and we haven't been able to get through something. We haven't been able to resolve something. And I can't even tell you the number of times I've lain in bed and then suddenly it's come. That nudge from the Holy Ghost. Get up. Get out of bed and go try again. One more time. And I lie there going, but, but I've been doing this for hours. God says, get up and go and do it one more time. And I get up and I go and we sit down and God brings the breakthrough. And God does what he said he would do if I do what he tells me to do. It's a beautiful thing. I'm so grateful. Do what Jesus says. Maybe you're feeling stuck. Maybe you haven't progressed in your walk. Maybe you feel like you've been in this place for a long time. Maybe for you it's not do what Jesus says Maybe you still need to do what Jesus said. Maybe you still haven't done the last thing that Jesus told you to do. Have you forgiven that person that Jesus told you to forgive days, weeks, months, years, decades ago? Have you trusted God by giving him the first part of your income that you were challenged to do, but you haven't quite got round to it? Have you been brave enough to join a small group when God says, stop isolating yourself? Be brave. Step into it. Sometimes we get stuck, not because there's anything wrong with us. Sometimes we're stuck just because we haven't yet got around to doing what Jesus told us to do. And with this challenge comes the biggest and the most common question that people ask. How do I know? How do I know what Jesus is saying to me? Is this really God? Now, you know, if we had time, we could go through the seven ways that God speaks, the seven things we see in the book of Acts about how God spoke to the apostles but you know what? I think the most important thing for us to realize today is that, you know, most times God asks you to do simple things. He says to Moses, throw your stick on the ground. I've thrown a few sticks in my time. I can do that. He says to Naaman, go and dip in the river seven times. Gets healed of leprosy. He says to Peter, step out of the boat. I've jumped out of a few boats. He says, bring me five loaves and two fishes. And the boy does. Have you brought to God first what you need to be multiplied? See, God's instructions are not normally particularly complicated. We just have to do them. And in this story, like in every other story where Jesus moves, he tells us to do something. Verse 6, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons, 75 to 115 liters, roughly speaking must have seemed bizarre for those servants to do that. 
Sometimes the things that God asks us to do feel bizarre to us. But I've tried that, God, and it hasn't worked. Do it again. The power comes as we take action. Mary had it right. Just do whatever he tells you to do. And now it gets really interesting. You see, every time a number is mentioned in Scripture, it's to serve a purpose. And every time we read about the number six in Scripture, it represents man, mankind, men and women, normal, everyday, sin-prone human beings, imperfect. Seven is the number of God. It's the number of perfection and completion. But six is the number of man. And so here we have six water jars. Not just six water jars, but six empty water jars. Representing humanity. Humanity that was empty. And that is a problem because you can't draw out of something that is empty. You can't pull out something to give to someone else if there's nothing to draw out. Likewise, God can't draw out of you what's not in there. If you've got an empty bank account and you see a need, you can't, there's nothing you can bring out to give to that. If you want to give someone a ride in your car, but there's nothing in the gas tank, you can't take them anywhere. A person with no word in their spirit, with no Holy Ghost in their heart, with no faith in their mind, has little that God can draw out to use with others. And so what does Jesus say about the six stone water jars? He says, fill them up. And let me tell you what God is saying for each one of us today. We've got to live filled up. What could God do with the jar of clay that was full? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, Peter writes, sorry, Paul writes, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, I've lived long enough now, I just don't care if people ever remember my name, but I do want people to know that God can do stuff. Why? Because I, the day's going to come I'm no longer here. But God is always here. And so it's far more important that, that people understand that the power, the treasure of God is available to everybody. You don't need a minister, a pastor, you don't need a leader, you don't need no, you just need Jesus. And if you got Jesus, you got everything that you need. And the power of that is it doesn't matter whether you live in New Zealand or in Somalia, Jesus is there. And you can have Jesus, and He can be that supply in your life. And we've got to understand that we've got to start by being filled with Jesus. He said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and so they filled them to the brim. Let me ask you, how full are you this morning? How full of God's Word are you? I've been reading a story about an American missionary who visited the Soviet Union in the 90s to talk to, uh, to, talk to Christians who suffered under years and years of communism. How do they survive the persecution? He did an interesting experiment. He was told of an interesting experiment where they gathered about a thousand, no, about a thousand, yeah, about a thousand young people, single under the age of 25, young Christians who were raised under parents, many of whom were persecuted, put in prison, and killed. And, and, and he gave them an interesting exercise when he said, Hey, I want you guys to get in small groups and I want you to see how much of the Bible you can remember. To his astonishment, three hours later, collectively, this group had written down. All of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with the exception of a handful of scriptures, just living inside of him. He visited about a decade and a half later, met with a group of young people, asked the same question. The, 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 the wall has fallen, the Iron Curtain has ended, the, the persecution is not the same. These young people now could hardly even remember his parables. 
There's something that we've got to realize when tough times come. We need what's inside of us. That is what God uses and draws out of us to provide what a hurting world needs. What does this water represent? The Word of God. It represents God's Spirit. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water. Hey, honey, in the shower. No, no. Washing with water through the Word. See, the water and the Word are synonymous. Gentlemen, your families need you to be a man of God in your house. You need to be a man of the Word. You know what? Your kids need to see you reading the Bible. They need to see you reading the Bible most days. But I have no time, you say. I say you can create time by adding your Bible reading to something you already do. I chatted with this guy once. He said, oh, I just don't have time. I said, what do you do first thing in the morning when you get up every day? He goes, that's easy. I do coffee. I said, great. How long does this coffee take you? Uh, 10 or 15 minutes. I said, great. From now on, every time you do coffee, you will do coffee in the Word. Oh, he goes. Ah, that's easy. Yeah, it is. What is it that you already do that you can add to it some time of getting into the Word? Time for us to lead. We need to be filled with the Word and the Spirit. How? We draw near. We ask to be filled. We open our hearts to Him. We focus, like I said before, on His overflowing abundance, not on our underwhelming lack. And this is the interesting thing. How do we know if we're full? How do we know if we fall? You know because instead of feeling emptiness, you feel a fullness. Instead of feeling despair, you feel joy. Instead of feeling complaints continually coming out of you, you feel gratitude. Instead of feeling negativity, you feel thankfulness. And absolutely, when you're not feeling it, we stand in faith regardless. But I tell you what, God didn't give us our emotions just to entertain us until we became Christians and then we live by faith in this emotionless void. I understand what we try to say when we say live by faith, not by feelings. We're saying don't buy into the roller coaster ride of your feelings. But I tell you what, we're meant to experience God. David's psalms are full of what he felt. The joy of the Lord that came near him and worshipped the delight of God on his life. He felt those things. And I tell you what, you know when you're empty. But you also know when you're full. And often all that we have to do to change it is to draw near him, open our hearts, sing. I love what it says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. And the tense of the Greek is be filled and keep on being filled. How? Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You do those things and you'll be filled. You press in and lift your eyes and lift your voice to God and you'll be filled. You'll be, you are being filled even as you're worshiping, even as you're shifting your focus off the earthly to the eternal. You are being filled. It happens, and you feel different at the end of it. I don't know about you, but I always feel different after church than I did before church. You may not want to hear this, but there are plenty of Sundays when I don't want to come to church. I just want to stay in bed. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't come and do this. There is never a Sunday when I, at the end of church, wish I hadn't come. Every Sunday, I'm stoked that I came. I feel different at the end of our time together. I do, I just feel different. 
There's something in me I've been filled. I mean, there's something that happens when we come and we do this stuff. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Well, then be filled with the Spirit. Draw near, open your heart, press in, lift your voice, sing, encourage one another. That is how we are filled. It is a powerful thing. And there is a process that needs to take place here. Now, and, and this is the real cool part of the story because up to now we, we don't really have a blockbuster movie yet. We have Jesus went to a party, got bugged by his mum, told the servants to go fill some buckets. I can do all of that. But then something beautiful happens. Invite Jesus in, do what Jesus says, let the Spirit work. Jesus does what we can't do. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They had to trust him. At this point, it was out of their control. They just had to take this, this, this cup of water. They thought it was water. They had to take it. And they had to trust it. They had to do what Jesus said and had to leave all the consequences to him. Because actually it was Jesus' reputation as much as the host's reputation at stake here. And somewhere between the filling and the tasting, the supernatural happened. The Spirit did His work. I tell you, I'm so glad I wasn't one of those servants. Has it changed yet? Has it changed yet? Has it changed yet? Has it changed yet? Somewhere in there it happened. But you know what? We have to, we have to let that stuff go, right? God says to pray. So we pray, and then we let it go. It's the Holy Spirit's work now. We talk to someone about Jesus. We talk and then we let it go. It's the Holy Spirit's work now. You're not responsible for the outcomes of what you do. You're just responsible for obeying. Tell you what, that'll set a whole bunch of us free here today. Set a whole bunch of us free just like that because we, we so think that the results are up to us, but they're not. They're up to Jesus. He's the one who draws the supernatural out and does the work, and we've got to give him room to do that. Can we get the team up now as we come to a close this morning? And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Oh, I love that. I'm telling you, I don't care what you've been through, how tough life has been. I don't mind what your mistakes have been in your life, but I'm telling you, Jesus is saving the best till now. His mercy is new every morning. Every morning you wake up, it's like, oh, the best is for now. His grace is for you every day of your life. What Jesus did here in Cana was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Something happened in all of that which totally won the disciples over. What was it? Maybe it was because something that this was something that no Pharisee would ever do. Pharisee would do the opposite if he had the power to do it. He would go and change wine into water. But Jesus didn't do that. This was an old law this was something new. This is something fresh Jesus was doing. It was a little bit naughty. It was a little bit against the rules, but it was powerful. And it was good and it felt right. And the disciples saw something in that that they'd been wanting all their lives. Maybe it was because they saw what Jesus could do with empty jars like themselves. Maybe it was because it showed that Jesus really does care enough to intervene supernaturally in the ordinary things of our lives. You know, as we come to a close this morning, I, I want to challenge you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, you've never been filled with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here and you've actually never made that decision to put your faith in Him. Or maybe you have a long time ago and it's time to get that sorted again. You know who I'm speaking to? If, 
you're there, you know something's going on inside of you right now. I want to tell you this. The Bible says that Jesus so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He loves you. He came for you. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says. Jesus is the only provision for your and my sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we come to the Father through him. But here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says that for those who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This morning, you can become one of his kids. It just happens through a prayer. Can we all bow our heads together this morning? Let's pray. And I'm going to like to invite you, if you've never invited Jesus to fill you, to be the Lord of your life, if you've never invited him in, this is your moment. Why don't you invite him in as I lead you in prayer this morning? Jesus, I invite you into my life. Every room, every place, every part. God, I believe that you came and paid for my sins. And that through trusting in you, I can, I can know God's plan for my life. I can experience his love. And so I choose you this morning, Jesus. And I invite you into my life. And I receive you into my world. Come and make me new. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for making me yours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.